You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast, episode number two, June 16th, 2020. Off-premise strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive-through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with a tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number two of The Tech Chef, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me again. My name is Skip Kimple. I am your host, and I am your tech chef for today. And I am coming to you from my studios in Orlando, Florida. Actually, we got some great news from Orlando this week. Um, we are currently in phase two of the reopening, but Disney made a pretty darn big announcement. They are opening their parks on July 11th. They're opening Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom. And on July 15th, they'll open the other two parks, Hollywood Studios and Epcot Center. Now, why is that important to us Floridians? Well, let me just tell you, they're the largest state employer. They actually, just in Central Florida, they employ 77,000 people. 77,000 people. And last I heard, they had actually furloughed 43,000 employees just here in the center of the state. And I also heard that they employed, or they um, they furloughed 100,000 people worldwide. And that represents about 50% of their workforce. So that's pretty darn amazing. And it's so awesome that they're starting to reopen and starting to bring uh, people back to work and allowing people back in the parks because that will definitely spark um, the the economy here, certainly in Central Florida, uh, but throughout the state itself. In regards to conferences, I have uh, I've received an email over the past couple of weeks in regards to FS Tech, which is coming up, I believe, in fall. And it was basically an email asking me if I had planned on going, you know, what, what the situation was. Now, first of all, I would love to go to FS Tech because it is being held this year at the Hilton Anatole. Now, I don't know if you've ever stayed at that hotel before, but it is the epitome of Texas-sized hotels. The, um, the uh, atrium area is unbelievable, and they have this moving sculpture in, in the um, the area where there's some restaurants. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. So if you haven't been there, put that on one of your places to go, especially if there's a conference coming up. Now, here's my question for all of you. The question is, do you plan on going to any conferences this year? Is the fall too soon for you? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know if there's enough information for me to actually make a decision on that. So I would love to hear from you. Are you going to FS Tech? And number two, have you heard of any other conferences that are potentially uh, launching back up again this year or early next year? If so, I would love for you to be able to reach out to me. Just drop me a note and you can do that by either emailing me at skip at skipkimple.com or hitting me up on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. However you want to reach me, I'm available. And remember, you can always leave a voice comment as well at 954 302 0851. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that make sure you go to skipkimple.com because that is where I keep all the show notes for each episode. There will be several points in this 
show today that I'll be talking about different websites, and I will provide those links in the show notes. So I make it very easy for you just to go in, click on those links, and it will take you right to the resource I'm talking about. Today's episode is all about working remotely, and we're going to approach it from several different viewpoints. First, we're going to start off by talking uh, through this show and talking through techniques as an employee. For instance, video conferencing etiquette, um, equipment you could use to actually uh, boost your experience, and of course, tools you could use and, and techniques to really make you an effective employee that is working remotely. Secondly, we're going to approach this from the IT professional side, those that are responsible for the mobile workforce. We are going to look at you know, moving assets to the cloud, providing the proper tools and the tool set for those employees to utilize, and of course, all of this security has wrapped around it, and or the lack thereof, I should say. Now, this overall topic, I do realize this is not specific to the restaurant industry, but it, it affects each and every one of us because we are thrown in it, regardless if we want to be in it or not. And this is a global issue, not just a, a localized issue or just an industry issue. So this, this definitely will be good material for you to take back to your team and spread around to your colleagues, uh, not only within our industry, but other industries as well. Now, as some of you have found out, working from home is not as easy as it sounds. For some, it's harder than others. And I think the three big pieces that I would like to start off the show with, and I'm talking specifically about those of you who are employees working remotely and finding yourselves in this brand new environment where you're normally used to going into an office and sitting at a desk and being very focused in front of the computer right there in front of your face. Well, working from home has a whole new set of challenges. You have to be very disciplined about what you do. Getting up in the morning, you know, getting up at regular hours, taking a shower, uh, pretend you're actually going into work, dress up, um, maybe not suit and tie if you're that type of office, but, you know, business casual, you know, hang out and it makes you feel good inside and it really does project, especially when you get on video conferences or phone calls that level of confidence that you build internally, it does have an effect on the other side of the phone. There's no question about that. Another important thing to remember is to remove as many distractions as possible from around you. Now, I know that might be difficult. Many of you have pets, you've got kids, you've got spouses that don't mind, whatever it is, make sure that if possible, remove those distractions. If you have a separate room for your office that you can utilize, use it. Close the door if you possibly can. And one piece of advice, if you're doing video conferences, make sure that you don't face your, your video camera towards the door because I have seen too many times where a spouse or a child walks into the room during the middle of a video conference and it, while it is comical, it could be avoided. So just something to keep in mind. Okay, let's get the elephant out of the room right off the top of the show, and that's video conferencing. I want to talk about some video conferencing etiquette and you know things you can do to really enhance your experience and to make sure that you are coming across the way you intend to. And first of all, when you join a video conference, uh, the proper thing obviously is to introduce yourself, announce yourself that that you're that you've joined, if if that's appropriate. In some cases. 
you join and you wait for the host to start. Now, once you've introduced yourself, I would highly recommend that you put yourself on mute. Mute your phone, mute your computer, and speaking of which, if you are dialing into a video conference that has both an an audio line for you to dial into, in addition to a connection, audio connection via the web conferencing software, I would always recommend dialing in from your phone um, instead of trying to use the audio computer. One of the reasons behind this is if you do audio and video through your computer, there's a good chance, nah, not a great chance, but a good chance that you're going to have a bad experience. The reason being is that if your internet connection is slow, you're going to be passing that audio and video through the same internet connection. Whereas if you're just to dial in, your audio connection is secure and you're good to go on that side. So if you do go this method of dialing in via your phone, one thing you want to make sure you do is when you mute yourself on your phone, also mute the computer because what happens a lot of times is you start getting this feedback. And if you start hearing that and you believe it's coming from your computer, just immediately mute your computer to make sure that the audio doesn't start bleeding through. Now, this is a big one, and it probably sounds silly, but please, please be on time. Remember, somebody has set up this call. They've organized multiple people to be on this conference call. The last thing you want to have happen is you be the one being late. So my suggestion is try at least five minutes ahead of time. Dial into the phone number. Dial into the video software with your computer. Make sure that you've done, you know, if there might be some software you need to download. Hopefully you've done that ahead of time, and which we'll talk about in a second. But um, if you haven't, this at least gives you time to recover and you're not the last one walking into the room and nobody's uh, chit-chatting, waiting around for you to show up. So I just mentioned something about this and this is the next point. Make sure that all the technology that you need is working. My suggestion is if you've received a notification about a video conference call coming up, like a Zoom conference or a WebEx conference, a lot of times there is software that needs to be installed in your computer. And please don't assume that you can automatically launch it on your computer because if you're using a corporate computer, there's probably some restrictions on that that limit you from installing software, which means you would have to contact your IT team in order to get that software installed. And more than likely, you're not going to be able to do that in just a couple of minutes before Uh, jumping on the conference call. So it's important to make sure that all the technology that you need in order to be on this call is actually working. Now, this point is pretty straightforward, and I'm surprised it isn't adhered to more often. However, over the past couple of months, I can tell you right now it is not. And that is, please wear work-appropriate clothing. Too many times I've seen people jump on these video calls wearing sweatshirts, wearing t-shirts, wearing baseball caps. In some cases, that may be appropriate. However, more than likely, it's not going to be. Remember what I said at the top of this segment, and that was, you know, approach your daily life working remotely as if you were in the office. When you get up in the morning, dress like you're going to dress in the office. Make yourself presentable. Now, you might have shorts on below the camera, and you're just dressed up on on top with a shirt and tie. Um, what? I haven't seen too many shirt and ties these days, but well, I take that back. Let me give you an example. I was on a board meeting call the other day, uh, not for a company, but for an organization I sit on the board for. And I dressed up specifically for that day and I wore, wore a collared shirt um, and I did not wear a jacket. I did not wear, wear a tie. I didn't think it would be needed. However, 
I would say half the people on that call were wearing shirt and ties. So I even felt underdressed on that particular call. So it's important to, once again, maintain the environment you normally would in the workspace. Now, when your camera comes on, normally as you're joining a video conference, it's going to show you a preview of how you're gonna look on video. At that point, it's kind of important to take a look at that because this is how you're going to, people are gonna see you. There's a few things that you can do to kind of help frame up the, the camera correctly. One, um, make sure that your face is in the center and, and it looks good. Um, you, you, I mentioned earlier, you know, make sure your camera is facing a wall instead of a door so that if somebody walks through the door, uh, like a family member, and you know, it's, it's not gonna be embarrassing for you. Also doing things, simple things like placing the camera too low can also be lead to unflattering and kind of awkward angles sometimes. So if the camera is directly facing you, that's probably your best bet. Speaking of the camera, if they can't see you because your lighting is poor, well, that's no good because uh, you're gonna have these weird shadows. And for instance, if you have light coming from the back of you, if you're sitting in front of a window, that is gonna be very distracting. So my suggestion, always make sure that there's light on the front of you, light not in the back of you. Now there's also some interesting tools out there that you can use to help make you look better on your video conference, believe it or not. And once again, these links are in the show notes. So if you're interested, just go to my show notes at skipkimball.com, click on the links. It's going to take you directly to these products. One of the products is called Lumalite. What you do is you attach this LED light to the front of, or yet yeah, to the front of your computer. So it's facing you or your laptop. It's got a little suction cup that actually um, allows the, the um, lights to face you properly. And once you turn that thing on, you look like a superstar. You look like you're, in, well, it, it isn't obvious that you're in a studio environment, but it does make you look a heck of a lot better. It shows your highlights and it reduces the shadows behind you. Now, if you really want to go crazy, there are a couple, couple more things. There is a green screen that you can buy that will allow you to put it behind you. And, and sometimes it will allow you to, for instance, on Zoom, you can use a virtual background. Have you ever noticed on Zoom when you have those virtual backgrounds, it's annoying if the lighting isn't, or you see the edges around somebody or a glow around somebody. Nine times out of 10, that's due to the fact that they have bad lighting on them and they don't have a good background and the software has a hard time distinguishing the difference between the person and the background. So if you had something like a green screen or a blue screen, that would make life a whole lot easier and your software would thank you at the end of the day. You will look a lot better. Now, I know that's over the top, but there are some very cool um, green screens out there, one that attaches to the back of your chair, for instance, or one that's just a pop-up. It just pops up behind you, and you can have it as long as uh, you're on the video conference, and then you can fold it back down and stick it away. It's fun. You wouldn't use it every single time unless you have a really annoying, awkward background. Something to think about, something to try. Now, imagine yourself sitting face-to-face with somebody. Remember those good old days of having a conversation face-to-face? What's the first thing you do when you're having a conversation with them? You look, at the, you look at the person's eyes. You need to do the same thing on video conferencing. You need to look at the camera. Do not concentrate on the video feed that's below the camera. That is very distracting. And when you do that, it appears that you're looking elsewhere and you're not paying attention. So once again, look at the camera. And I know it's going to be a little awkward to begin with, but trust me, it's going to do you a world of benefit by doing that because people will make be making direct eye contact with you at that point. 
Now, here is a biggie that you need to pay attention to. Pay attention. When you're on the video conference call, remember, people are looking at you. It's important to pay attention to the conference. Don't be multitasking out there. I know we're really busy. We have a lot of things to do. However, it's rude and it's awkward to be able to do that. And if you think you can get away with doing that and people aren't noticing, it's not true. We know when you're when you're actually multitasking. So please pay attention during your video conference. There's two last pieces that I would like to close this section out with. And the first is virtual backgrounds. I know I briefly touched on it a few seconds ago, but if you're using, for instance, Zoom, and you're utilizing their virtual backgrounds, my suggestion is please do not use the stock virtual backgrounds, all eight of them or whatever there is. Find something unique. Now, how do you do this? Pretty darn simple. All it is is an image that you're looking for. So if you go on to Google and you search for virtual backgrounds for Zoom, guess what? You're going to come up with a plethora of resources of images that you can use for your virtual background. Some of them are very cool. Also, please do not use animated backgrounds. We all know that you're not at the beach and the wind's blowing through the palm trees. It's cool, but please don't use it. It's overused and it becomes annoying after a while. Now, what is one thing that you can do? How about this? Create a background with your logo behind you. That would be pretty cool, your company logo behind you. Especially if you're working with uh, with vendors and you, know, you jump on a call there, it'd be great to have your logo behind you. But try to be creative with these and test it out before you jump on a video call to make sure it actually looks good. And the last thing I like to mention on this is if you're presenting, please practice, practice, practice. Make sure you prepare all the assets for your presentation and test them ahead of time. If you're using a PowerPoint presentation or you're using a video Make sure it all works and it works properly. Okay, we've talked a lot about web video conference etiquette. Let's talk about some of the web video conference software and services that you can use. And I guess this is more driven to the IT professional or the decision makers on listening to this podcast in regards to what can you use to make your the engagement with your team um, a better experience. So some of the bigger names out there, WebEx, GoToMeeting, uh, Google Meetup. A new one I've seen being utilized quite a bit recently is Amazon Chime. There's Microsoft Teams, and then of course, Zoom. There has been a lot of discussion around Zoom and the security around it, specifically the privacy. Now you gotta remember, when Zoom, uh, pre-COVID, they had probably about 10 million subscribers. And once everybody started working remotely, they jumped up to 200 million subscribers in March and 300 million daily participants, I think it was as of April, I can't even imagine where we're at right now as far as the number of people that they they have online. So obviously there were some flaws in the software that were pretty obvious to the community right away. And one of those things was Zoom bombing, where basically the meeting ID was too short, so it'd be very easy for people to randomly type in a Zoom ID number, a meeting number, and just pop into somebody else's meeting, uh, totally unexpected. Now, 
they have put some uh, specifications and some further uh, security pieces around the Zoom meetings. But I want to talk to you right now that if you're if you're hosting a Zoom meeting, this kind of applies to all meetings, not just Zoom meetings. But here are some some easy practical things to do uh, to protect your meetings and your participants. The first thing I would suggest is to password protect your meeting. This is actually a very simple thing to do, and I know it's a pain for your the person that's joining the meeting because it's one more thing that they have to do. However, this is the probably the single most important thing that will help you secure your meeting and uh, prevent unauthorized users from from jumping in and doing some Zoom bombing on you. Another thing I would suggest is to turn on the option if you have the ability to um, disallow others of joining the meeting before you do, obviously if you're hosting the meeting. And there's usually an option for that. This at least controls the meeting. You're the first person in. At that point, you can start allowing people into that meeting. It controls the conversation as well. You know, people aren't chit-chatting about who knows what they shouldn't be chit-chatting about uh, before you actually start. Another thing to consider is to actually lock down your meeting. What does this mean? This means that once the meeting has started, you press the lock button, which some of the video conferencing software allows you to do. This prevents any further people from joining the meeting. Now, this is important if you're trying to keep people out that, that should not be in the meeting because once you start presenting, my guess is you're not going to be constantly looking at the new participant list or the overall participant list and seeing who's joined. Therefore, this does provide an extra level of security for you. Now, here's an idea for some of you, and it's going to make you upset because I'm about to take a convenience factor away from you. But for instance, in GoToMeeting, you have a permanent room that you create. It's probably based upon your name, Skip's Room, whatever that is. And it's an easy link for people to uh, click on and start up a meeting. I would suggest not doing this, especially if it's a very important meeting. I would use a randomly generated number um, or ID login, which, you know, if you in GoToMeeting, if you just say generate a meeting, it's going to give you that that meeting ID. But by using that generic, or by using that login that's personalized to you, you're really opening up the possibility of people joining the meeting and bombing your meeting um, in a way that you don't want to have happen. Now, with everybody working remotely, I think a very dangerous aspect is file sharing. And I think that's an area that we really need to concentrate on from a security perspective. And that is in the video conferences, please do not allow file sharing. You are going to lose control of your company data if you do allow this. When you launch your web conference software, especially if you've been using it for a while, if there are any security updates, I would certainly do them. I think we're seeing security infractions happen daily. And these companies are releasing updates uh, very periodically. So once again, if there are updates to your video conferencing software, please do them before you start the conference call. Now, if you're one of the decision makers out there that are trying to determine which piece of software is best to utilize for your company, there are some things, especially pricing considerations you need to keep in mind. And all of these features really do affect the pricing. First, the amount of attendees or hosts that you want to have on a particular call that's probably the number one thing I've seen as far as a pricing structure. So you can get away with 50 people at a time or 100 people at a time or 200 people at a time. Usually there's pricing structures specifically for that. 
another feature that you see, it becomes either a selling point or a cost factor, and that's if the, so the video conferencing software provides an audio line or a toll-free line. Now, there is also some great collaborative features available out there, like whiteboarding and screen sharing, and if you need those, that's probably going to limit your choice in regards to which piece of video conferencing software you're going to use, but, and it's probably going to affect the cost as well. But if you need them, those features are out there. I find the platforms that offer the most collaboration tools are usually the most expensive options for you to choose. Now, other features to consider, obviously, are the recording of the sessions, uh, the quality of service, and being able to export out an attendee list, for example. I think as you get more mature with doing these remote conferences that the host admin features are really going to jump up on the top of your list as far as things that you want to make sure are available to you. For instance, um, the discussions or being able to, like I said, lock out the, the latecomers in or disabling the webcams or disabling audio as a whole. There's a lot of great features that some of the more mature platforms are the ones that are going to be able to handle this. In the show notes, I'm going to give you a link to an amazing a comparison chart I found on Wikipedia with all of the major platforms out there, major and minor. There's there's many platforms I've never even heard of before. But what's what's great about this, it has every possible feature you could even think of, and it's all in one great big chart. So head on over to the show notes, click on that link if you're trying to determine which piece of software is best for you. All right, I'm gonna close out this section by just giving you a couple little pieces of information and a couple little nuggets. And first of all, what I would highly recommend is that you go and you experience the software um, yourself from both a registered and non-registered user perspective. Get the experience as, as they're going to get it. And so you understand, you're able to explain to them if they have problems, how they can overcome those problems. Test your access ahead of time. I mentioned this a couple of times already. There might be drivers needed in order to make your web conferencing software work, and you might not have the permissions available to you on your computer to actually install those updates, which means you would need to engage with your IT team in order to be able to, to accomplish that. So once again, test ahead of time, test, 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 and then test again. I'm going to mention this one more time because I think it is worth repeating. If you have the option, always dial in with your phone versus using the audio version on your computer. You're going to have the best quality audio possible, and you're going to make your experience so much more enjoyable. Now let's delve into the area of security. We are in a whole new world of security considerations like we've never seen before. However, let me just point out that the more mature companies out there or the companies that already had mobile workforces in place more than likely had these pieces covered. But there are so many more operations out there that this is new territory for them. And COVID hit us so quickly that there's many IT departments that really did not have the time or the budget, quite honestly, to implement proper security. So let's, let's approach this from two different angles. Let's talk, first of all, about an individual, you know, pr protecting yourself. You're an individual within a company. You might be using a, a personal computer that is not controlled by the corporate infrastructure. Man, I hope that's not true, but it probably is. Let's talk about things as an individual you can do to make sure that your experience is safe and secure. 
First and foremost, make sure you protect your device with some type of antivirus software. If you don't have antivirus software on your computer, please, please go out there and get something, install it, and make sure that that's running. Now, also, since you're not in the corporate office, you probably don't have a team of IT individuals that are updating the computer for you. So make sure you're doing your security updates, your Windows updates, whatever it is, make sure that your computer is is up to date with its software because most of those updates are security related and they're patching holes and they are launching more and more patches these days as more and more vulnerabilities come around with this new environment that we're in. At home, make sure that you've configured the Wi-Fi encryption on your Wi-Fi device. This will ensure that your communication when you're online is safe and secure. And while you're in your Wi-Fi unit, make sure that your login and password are not the default. I know there's many units out there, Linksys units, Netgear units, they use a default username and password. That is very easy to hack into. So please make sure that you change those as well. If you're trying to connect to a Wi-Fi network that does not belong to you, for instance, you're at a cafe or at a restaurant or a library, which I don't know if any of those are available for you to go to right now, but in the event that you are at one of those locations and you don't have control over that Wi-Fi network, use VPN software or a VPN service of some sort. If you're a larger company, more than likely that VPN connection will be supplied to you. However, as an individual, there are places that you can go um, to actually uh, download the software and it will encrypt your connection for you. By creating this encrypted connection, really it prevents people from um, hacking you, from exposing you to malware and phishing schemes, as well as identity theft. So it is in your best interest to secure that connection. A couple of resources for you uh, that you can use that are very popular. One is called ExpressVPN. And another one that I personally like to use is called Surfshark. Once again, both of those links are in the show notes. Here's a simple thing that you can do that protect yourself, especially if you're in a, a public place, and that's lock your device when you walk away from it. As you're, you know, if you go to get your cup of coffee, lock it. Make sure that if somebody's coming by, they don't see your screen and they can't just log into your, or they can't uh, just t- start typing into your computer. The only downside is that you're going to actually have to type your password in when you get back to your computer. And I know that's an inconvenience, but man, it's such a small inconvenience for such an easy little security trick. Create strong passwords. Please don't make weak passwords. Hopefully on that computer, especially if it's a corporate device, has a policy in place that ensures that your password has the proper strength to it. I think now more than ever, you guys really need to stay vigilant clicking on email links where they're asking for credentials or unusual requests. If you run across that, check with the person that says it's being requested from to just make sure that they're actually asking you to make that bank bank transfer. More than likely, they're not. But once again, be vigilant in this area always. Keep your work separate. Nearly one-third of all users use their company computer for personal use. Now, this not only affects productivity, but it also affects security. So once again, use your work for computer for work and your personal computer for personal items. Man, we've talked a lot about security, but let's talk about just some really good practical um, concepts to keep in mind in this new remote working environment that you find yourself in. This will help you maintain a professional 
um, rapport within your company and to make sure that the company understands that you're an effective remote employee. First of all, track your progress. Be ready to report on what you've done and really how much time it took to do it. Try to work normal business hours, normal office hours. If the boss calls you at 9 a.m. because he normally calls you at 9 a.m., be prepared for that call. Don't be just rolling out of bed at that point. Create a comfortable workspace. Find yourself a desk, a well-lit room. Uh, make sure that you're constantly standing up, you're stretching your legs, you're drinking water, you're getting plenty of sleep, and most importantly, don't skip meals. For some of us workaholics, working from home really can be a negative thing because that's all we do is work. And it is true, you do forget to drink and you do forget to eat. Okay, it's time to turn things around here a little bit and get a little more techie and really talk to those that are running departments or are responsible for your remote workforce. Now, with all of these new devices floating out there, it's important to make sure that your staff or your employees know what to do in the event that their device is lost or stolen. And that includes knowing who to report it to. And staff, I know from personal experience here, they tend not to report lost or stolen devices right away in the fear that they're going to get in trouble. So it's important to create this blame-free environment for that. One area that I'm seeing being ignored out there right now are work schedule policies and expectations. They really need to be communicated by the management more frequently. In my research of remote working hours, there's really two thought processes I've seen on this out there. First of all, either make them abide by strict working guidelines or stop telling them to work at 8 a.m. The data seems to show that the second thought process of having a more flexible schedule seems to be more productive. Leaving the employee alone, for instance, work performance is not about hours. Encouraging collaboration really keeps your teams engaged. And setting up, for instance, a virtual water cooler uh, to allow your employees to exchange ideas and be together again um, would be very effective. And last but not least, be transparent, communicate everything. I said this before, I'll say it again. Now, those of you running the tech departments, let's talk a little more detailed here in regards to what kind of tools you need to make available to your users. Moving some of that infrastructure that you've had on-prem up to the cloud is probably one of the most effective ways you can do this, from servers, um, moving your infrastructure to Azure or AWS, moving over to as many SaaS applications as possible, um, utilizing Office 365, for instance. All of those are very powerful tools in the web and are easy to maintain and manage. Now, with this new mobile environment that's created, we're starting to see several um, security threats out there and a lot of um, security activity. For instance, e-crime and targeted intrusion, targeted remote services like SaaS platforms, and vishing uh, robocalls and tech support scams. So it's very important to create your security infrastructure in order to be able to support and protect your corporate environment and your corporate employees. Now here's just some general security tactics and solutions. Um, there's a white paper by CrowdStrike, which I will put in the show notes for you. That's a great reference to have. Make sure that you have a current cybersecurity policy in place that includes remote working. Remember, there's quite a bit of sensitive data that's gonna be accessed through very unsafe Wi-Fi networks. So you need to plan appropriately. Once again, like I said, plan for those devices out there that are connecting to your organization because personal devices that are connecting 
will need to have the same level of security as company-owned devices. In your environment, were you able to supply laptops for everybody to work remotely? And how are you handling that? More than likely, you might have several users out there using their personal computer. So by putting together, for instance, a mobile device management program to be able to handle this, I think is critical at this point. With an MDM solution, obviously you're going to eliminate the device disparity, data leakage. You know, you want to make sure that your corporate data remains your corporate property. Secured network access by forcing people, for instance, uh, using a VPN. Lost or stolen devices. MDMs, a good MDM will allow you to locate those devices or at least allow you to destroy any corporate data on a device that happened to have been stolen. Keep in mind, you will need to consider the privacy implications of employee-owned devices connecting to a business network. And if your users are accessing a VPN to get to company functions like video conferencing um, or other highly intensive assets, make sure, for instance, the quality of service is addressed for those streaming protocols. Vulnerability management with a distributed workforce provides its own set of complications. Obviously, it's important to scan remote systems, and one of the ways you could do that is, remotely is using an agent-based uh, vulnerability assessment. Finding a best-in-class endpoint protection solution, I really think is the best bet. Um, it provides you deep visibility into the vulnerabilities on that individual machine. Patch management. Vulnerabilities everywhere and patches nowhere. I mean, do you have a patching policy in place? I think it's also important to create a dedicated vulnerability management team in order to be able to handle all of these patches. And you can probably uh, minimize some of that effort by using automation tools for patch deployment. Some other ways of securing your remote workforce may include creating a virtual desktop infrastructure with VDI servers, for instance, or hardening your remote user endpoints. I think an important piece is not to forget to protect your collaboration platforms because they are going to be overutilized at this point. So to summarize up our security section here, it's important to have a comprehensive security policy in place. Cybersecurity and hygiene and visibility are critical. Know the who, what, when, and where of your environment. Plan for patching remote systems at scale. Don't forget, continued education is a must as COVID-19-themed scams start to escalate. Your crisis management and incident response plans needs to be executable by a remote workforce and ensure that you can respond, recover, and remediate remotely. Wow, that was a lot to take in. And obviously, we don't have time to talk about any one of these items in great detail. But my hope is that if you are an end user or you are in control of creating the safe environment through your IT department, you were able to find something in this that you can put into place right away. Remember, remote working is a whole new way of life for most people. And the way that this was rapidly pushed upon us, IT departments did not necessarily have the time to properly put the systems in place to make everything secure, safe, and effective. Larger companies that had a large remote workforce to begin with, more than likely they had this covered, but there are plenty of smaller companies out there that did not. As we see company announcements being made, this new method of workforce is here to stay for quite some time. Don't delay, make these changes now. 
And for all of the end users out there that stuck through the techie piece of the show, hopefully you found some great ideas to make being a participant in video conferencing a more enjoyable and more productive process, as well as some good business tips to make sure that your boss is noticing your value. Well, that's a wrap for this show. And I just want to remind you, show notes are found at skipkimple.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions about anything on the show or would like to make a suggestion for a future show or just a general comment, call our comment hotline at 954-302-0851 and leave a voice message. Also on the website, on the right-hand side of the screen, towards the middle, there's a little a little icon to leave a voice comment. And as of now, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Stitcher, you name it. Wherever you get your podcast from, we should be there. And if not, let me know and I'll make sure that the show has been submitted. It's kind of cool. The other day I told Alexa to play the Tech Chef podcast and guess what I heard? And speaking of iTunes, I'm currently running a contest until the end of the month And in order to participate, what you need to do is go on over to our Tech Chef podcast page on iTunes and leave a comment for us, leave a review. And at the end of the month, I will randomly select a person that's given us a review and I will be giving them a $25 Amazon gift card. And since it's June 16th, I have to say a very to my wife, who her big birthday is today. We're going to have a great weekend together, so I just wanted to give her a quick shout out. There are lots of other shows you could be listening to, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this one. Next week's show is on June 23rd, and we are going to be talking to Danielle Gazetta, who is the Senior Vice President of Growth Hacking for Smoky Bones. She's a very good friend of mine, and we have lots of great technology and marketing conversation, and of course, great ideas to share with you. And I can't wait. I really do look forward to talking to you again soon. And until that time, stay hungry, my friends. Hey.